All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of Kung Fu is dead as Latin, lots of, yo, this KFG episode has more twists and turns than a Steven Seagal character arc. Let's get to it. And every day, I practice martial arts. Yo, Dre, how you doing, man? I'm doing rather well, Sifu. How about you? Good. I feel we have very high energy for a Saturday morning today. High energy. That's right. We came in very hot this oh morning. Oh, my so God. I, I hope think that it might be the turkey pastries over across the street. Turkish. Turkish. Not turkey pastries. No, it's turkey. Turkish. No. There's no pastries. turkey. Pastries. Turkey pastries. <laughs> it's Turkish. Okay, I love Mikey Dean. I love how no. you can always rely on Dre to get something like that Mikey wrong. Mikey Dean told me it was turkey pastries. <gasps> no. Turkish. Wow. He Turkish. said the proper term was turkey yeah, because it's Jesus. English. If you, if, we if, have a Turkish bakery across from City Wing Chun. They have exactly. amazing Thanks, pastries. Dean. Yeah. Thanks. And he's probably just messing Made with me look you. Like so, a fool. Oh no. You don't you don't need Mikey to look like that. All right, Dre, what you got for me today? All right, next uh, first one out the gate. All right. First one. Okay. Oscar Menendez. Oh, it's a Patreon question. Patreon question. Yes, Patreon question. That's How'd right. you guess? Because uh, I'm doing your job for you, that's why. <laughs> Yo. Three-part question. All right. Outside of WCWT, in your opinion, are other Chinese martial arts doomed to die out like some dead language like Latin? Oh. Mm -hmm. Or British English. Okay. All right. What's the second How question? How dare you? Second, do you believe that kung fu movies as we know them are now extinct? And in your opinion, what was the last great kung fu movie? Keep up the great work. Awesome. That's a great question. Um, I know it's a great question because I already answered it for our Patreons. So one of the things I'm doing now is like uh, my Patreon supporters, they get first dibs on any questions on the podcast. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, sometimes it takes a couple weeks for us to get to any of the questions. So what I do for my Patreons is when they ask me a question... Mm -hmm. I will actually give them a personalized answer on my cell phone. I'll record it. Perhaps we should have Dryzen as a producer mm. of the show. No, no, no. We, we don't need Dryzen on. No, no. Page, Patreon is for people who want to support us right. and give us money. The moment I put that dude on there, everyone's going to stop. But we can use his time machine right. and Patreons get to be ahead of the game. You know, real people. Yeah, Patreons are real people. Yeah, we, don't, we don't need to. His time machine will keep us no, ahead of the game. Not at all. Not at all. So anyway, what I do for the Patreons is I actually answer the questions pretty much like this. Uh, as soon as they write it, now mm -hmm. I'm going to give them a video response. And this is something I just started doing on Patreon because I realized it. Yeah, it actually sometimes takes a couple weeks before these things come out on episodes. So Oscar already got an answer, which goes on Patreon. So I, I basically answer the question already. And That's now I'm going to do it kind of officially on the podcast. Ah. So, um, all right. So the uh, first question, are Chinese martial arts doomed to die out like... A dead language like Latin or mm, or British or, or Cantonese or British English. All right, British all these, English. Yeah, these dead languages, right? Um, <laughs> Pirate English. Well, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, obviously nowadays, uh, you know, the big the big boy on the block is uh, mixed martial arts and Brazilian jiu jitsu and those kind of things. So you know the. The people who practice Chinese martial arts are um, usually the kind of very dedicated and kind of hardcore types that really want to 
learn that specifically, so they have to seek it out, and it's getting harder and harder to find. Um, obviously, Wing Chun is a little bit different. You know, we have, you know, admittedly a little bit of uh, Wing Chun exceptionalism, not just because we do it, but mm -hmm. because, you know, Wing Chun is a style that, that seems to kind of peek out a little bit differently from some of the other Chinese martial arts in kind of public consciousness, both, mm -hmm. both good and bad. Um, but if, if we're talking about, let's say, more orthodox... Uh, Shaolin martial arts or mm -hmm. martial arts like Hongka or Choi Lei Fat or, you know, even some more rare martial arts like uh, Mantis and things like that. Um, yeah, I think that at some point that is going to be very, very difficult to find. If you're not mm -hmm. in a city that has a big Chinese population or just a big population in general, if you're not in a New York or an L.A. or maybe a San Francisco um or Vancouver, Toronto, obviously these major places, I think it's going to be very difficult to, I mean, it's already difficult now to find those styles. Mm. Um, we get a lot of inquiries, even for Wing Chun, which is probably slightly more widespread than some of those other martial arts. You know, I get a lot of inquiries for people who want to learn Wing Chun, but they're even just in Pennsylvania, even not that far away, but wow. maybe they're not in Philly or something like that, right? And there's there's really nothing, right? So if, if people are asking about Wing Chun training in areas that are not really even that far from where we are right now. You can mm -hmm. only imagine if someone really wants to learn, you know, Seven Star Mantis or, you know, um, Bak Mei or any mm -hmm. of those kind of martial arts, how extremely difficult it would be, right? Of course, you'll always have like a random dude somewhere who teaches something who happened to move there, but there's no guarantee that everywhere you go, there's like an equal dispersion of these other Chinese martial arts. Okay. Um, on top of that, I think Chinese martial arts have got a little bit of a bad reputation in recent years, and I think that's mostly the fault of the Sifus and the uh, the students who've kind of been promoting it in, in kind of a strange way, and um, maybe not listening to, not getting the temperature of the room in terms of how martial arts have changed a little bit. So mm. uh, they can come off looking kind of... Mm, like yeah. like the old man who's just you know he shows up to the the club in like you know plaid golf shorts and okay. uh, and you know is like doing yeah. the running man or something uh -huh. like that when everyone else is doing uh -huh. I don't know what do the kids do nowadays dab, dab? all right yeah or that's probably ten Dabbing years old was already actually ten years old yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah speaking of old people yeah. who are out of touch all right look yeah. at me so yeah. um, I think that it's uh, going to be increasingly more difficult to find those martial arts mm -hmm. and. Then, which means it's also increasingly difficult to find people who are really qualified. Like you might find a guy who learns some Northern Mantis and is like okay at it, but is he like the level of a Lake Amwing or something like that, or or any of these guys who are like top of the food chain at some point, right? Um, I don't think so, and I think that it's going to become increasingly more difficult to to find those martial arts, which is actually one of the mm. reasons why I think it's it's kind of a good thing that um, in Hong Kong a few years back uh, there's a um, a martial arts enthusiast who also happens to be <clears throat> at least from what I understand uh, relatively wealthy. His name is Chiu Set Heng. He also Chiu goes Set Heng. He also goes by Heng Chao, uh, Heng Chao. and he is a. Uh, He's a Hong Kong practitioner in Hong Kong, but uh -huh. he's also like he's also a man of means and he has some wealth or whatever. And he's a huge martial arts fan. Although I, right. I think he actually does not really like Wing Chun, but that's okay. Um, I, I barely like Wing Chun, to be honest. I teach Wing Chun and I barely can stand Wing Chun people. All right. Uh, so um, what he did a few years back is he actually took 
a number of masters from these uh, from some very rare Hakka styles, like Sifu Li Tin Loi mm-hmm. um, from Southern Mantis, and he also took some some Bakmi guys, some guys from other strains of Southern Mantis. Um, <clears throat> and what he did is he did um, really advanced motion capture on all of these guys doing their forms. So what he did is he had them perform all their sets with like the most advanced motion capture wow. rig on, and. And then, you know, I believe he also recorded them, not just doing their standard forms, but their movements, mm. uh, applications, the weapons and stuff like that. So what he did is he actually created a digital record of these styles, which means that in, in the very likely event that two generations from now, there's really no one who teaches this style at that level. What? You could basically see a 3D model of these high-level masters performing yeah. it. And think about how much technology jumps, you know, recently. I mean, think like maybe in 10 years, they can take all that motion cap and basically create a hologram of the Sifu. And you could, and even if that Sifu is long since gone, you could like walk around them 360 and look at their movements, right? And then down the line, they can inject that shit inside of our brains and stuff like that. Exactly. All yeah. right. You know, I was. Yeah. Not, you know, let's go weird. with that. I was just about to say that, but you took the words right out of my mouth. I'm and then saying. they can inject that shit. <laughs> All right. And he injected it directly. So I think that I think that in terms of I think that you don't get it. I think that in terms of like preserving <sighs> those martial arts, I think probably whoever's left in those styles, mm. they probably have to maybe think about doing something like that. Create a really solid digital record of the forms and the methods and the histories and the mm-hmm. stories and um, be prepared that that might be, that might be the legacy of that style at some point in the near future, because there's really no one practicing that. Right. Um, also, I think uh, Wing Chun is a little bit different because in Wing Chun, we also spend a fair amount of time practicing with a partner. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that other Chinese martial arts don't, but I'm just saying, like, we have cheese out, so we have this kind of way of interacting with someone where we have to feel, okay, either you can do it or you can't. If I make a mistake, you hit me, right? And then we can spar and we can see you try to punch me, I have to defend it. There's a way to kind of see if what we're doing works. You know, we can spar, we can, we can check it out. But mm-hmm. in some uh, very forms-based martial arts, the quality of a practitioner is determined by how well they do the form, how powerfully they execute it, how they can perform certain things. And some of that stuff is really arduous. Like I mentioned a, a number of times when I trained with Sifu Li Tianloi back in 2015. I mean, that training is so old school. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's no wonder that the modern, you know, as they say in Hong Kong, the youngsters in Hong Kong don't want to endure that. Um, because it's really, really difficult to, to do that kind of training. I mean, when Sifu Li Tianloi was teaching the Samjin form, like... I mean, it's, it's arduous. It's hours and hours of just a few movements again and again and again mm. and again. You know what I mean? And he's holding the pole to your chest and you're trying to advance forward and he's holding you back. And it's like just something really old school out of a Kung Fu movie. Well, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, where you didn't have iPads and internet and YouTube and all that kind of stuff, that was also your entertainment. Okay. You know what I mean? Like going there and like learning these things and being able to focus on something for a while. and. Wow. I think with the, the way the current generation is, I don't think that they have that kind of 
determination to do something like that. I mean, even with my own daughters, like I really try my hardest to make sure that they're like not distracted by, you know, like the iPad and this and that or whatever. Oh, but it, it is a, it is struggle. an uphill battle, right? Mm -hmm. Because like we were watching Cobra Kai, which they love, by the way. Yeah. I showed them Karate Kid 1 and Karate Kid 2 in, uh, over the summer and they loved it. Yeah, I'm gonna have to try that too. And then I started showing them Karate, uh, or Cobra Kai and they love it because it's almost like a teen drama and yeah. they're like, they're, they're like the perfect age for it and they love it. Oh. Oh, and I, I'm up to date on all five seasons, but with the girls, we're like almost at the end of season three right now. Okay. So I'm rewatching it with them, mm, right? That's the season where he falls. Or is it season two? Hey, no spoilers, all right? Oh, take it bad, easy. Take bad. it easy, all right? Yeah, stop that. Yeah. yeah so but everyone's uh, seen it. Already. No, not everyone has seen it. My daughters haven't seen all of it, and they might be watching this podcast. So take, oh. hey, 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 hey. Take, Take it easy, easy all right? Uh, so, um, but you know, I like, the thing is that they love Cobra Kai, all right? They totally love it. But even just to get them to sit still for an hour on a show that they love, like, mm. you know, my daughter Maria will get up and start doing, like, she, they're both into rhythmic gymnastics now, and they're, they're quite good. But they'll, like, get up and they'll start doing all that stuff, right? And then she'll, like, go and walk around. I'm like, Maria, you need to sit in place and watch the show. Otherwise, because she'll walk out of the room for a little bit. Oh, right. To go do, like, five cartwheels and then come back and be like, what happened? <laughs> right? And I'll be like, we're literally watching it right now, right? And so you have to imagine if the current generation has a hard time sitting through a TV show mm. that they like. All right? Who is going to stand in a horse stance? Yeah. For 20 minutes at a time holding just these Damn. basic hand postures, right? So I think, Damn. you know, I mean, even though, and this is not to say that mixed martial arts training isn't tough or jujitsu isn't tough. It's absolutely tough, right? Um, but you're always going to have athletes and you're always going to have, you know, those kind of people that can do those kind of things, right? Tough guys and athletes and, and people who are like, you know, naturally strong or aggressive or fighters Attributes. or whatever, right? You're always going to have those people, right? But a big thing about martial arts in general was that it, it was available to everyone, right? And you kind of see like to really be at a high level in a lot of mixed martial arts and things like that, you, you need to be like a certain type of person, right? And, you know, I wonder if like the average person who's not like the most aggressive aggro bro, mm -hmm. you know, can really thrive in some of those environments, right? But then are they going to then want to go and do kung fu and do a horse stance for 20 minutes? No. So I have to think that a, a large number of these martial arts, uh, traditional Chinese martial art. arts, they're, no, they're going to die very rapidly, mm. very rapidly. Um, even in Hong Kong, I took you there, you see it's, you know, it's, it's harder and harder to find. And uh, Chinese martial arts in Hong Kong, even though they're not as big, as prominent as they used to be, they're still really tribal. All right. So, I mean, it's like they have only a few people doing it. And these people are still kind of at each other's throats for mm. things that happened in the 1950s or mm. something like that. Right. Um, it's interesting. Something has changed a little bit in New York. I mean, like the Chinese martial arts community, there's still a Chinese martial arts community here in New York. You have schools in Chinatown, Mdatwa, you have Paul Ko, um, uh, and, you know, William Kwok from Practical Wing Chun and, all, you know, <clears throat> a number of Moyet's descendants and things like that. And we in recent years all seem to be kind of very cool with each other. You know, whereas like in the 80s, especially among the different Wing Chun factions, it was like a lot of bad blood. Yeah. But now it's like the, the two main Wing Chun guys in New York are me and Sifu William Kwok. And mm -hmm. like we're cool with each other. Like it's not the way it was in the 80s. You know what God. I mean? Like we're 
all these people have they're like all warring factions throats. or something like that. Yeah. yeah, and and you know, kind of most of the kung fu styles are kind of friendly with each other because it's small. And while you definitely have friendships and showing face in Hong Kong and all that stuff, I mean, spend twenty minutes with any famous sifu in Hong Kong of any style uh-huh. at dim sum. Oh man! And about twenty minutes in, oh man, he's just start bitching about some other sifu. <laughs> he's start bitching about how someone else in his lineage isn't yeah. doing it right, or some other version of his lineage uh-huh. isn't doing it right, or he's just gonna bitch about another style altogether. And it's like, and that is such a part of the culture. And this is not something in my opinion, that's sustainable. So yeah, I think a lot of Chinese Kung Fu styles are probably going to turn into something like Latin, all right? Or mm. Cantonese or British English. Mm-hmm. So um, when are you going to um, show the girls Karate Kid 3 and the next Karate Kid? Well, oh. Karate Kid 3 actually oh. is relevant to Cobra Kai, especially yeah, in seasons four. Man, uh, Take it easy. Hey, that was a freaking spoiler. Was that a spoiler? Oh my Dude, god, that really? was a fifth season spoiler. Wow. Dude, what? Dre, Dre. Oh. Zip it. No, Zip no, it. I'll make it easy for you, Dre. Spoiler right? alert. In season five, we find out that Luke is Darth Vader's son. Feel <laughs> better now? Feel better? Feel better? All right. Hey. So. Take it easy. Easy. All right. Okay. So. Um, no, I, I mean, I might show them Karate Kid 3 because it is somewhat relevant to the seasons that are coming up. But you okay. Know. Hey, Kung Fu Genius listeners. Are you a fan of Wing Chun Kung Fu? Well, if you listen to me, I assume you are. I got great news for KFG fans. Right now, you can get an all-access one-month free trial subscription to Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Yes, I said free. Go to WCINewsstand.com and register in the upper right-hand corner. Fill out your email and password and use the code KFGTRIAL to get your free trial to all the issues from 2011 to the current issue. That's right, all the issues, even the one with this cool guy on the cover. That's me for those of you listening to us on audio. My Kung Fu Genius column is also in all the new issues as if you needed another reason to get this awesome magazine. Go get your free trial subscription today. For all that information, check out the description below. And now back to me. So the second question was about Kung Fu movies, right? It was definitely about Kung Fu movies. Look at him stall. Do you believe that? <laughs> Look at him stall. Do you believe that Kung Fu movies as we know them are now extinct? And in your opinion, what was the last great Kung Fu movie? All right. So That's our such Kung- a great question. Yeah, that is a really good question. Our Kung Man, Fu movies extinct. These Patreon guys. Yeah, the Patreon guys have the best questions. Yeah. All right. Probably because they give me money. <laughs> they don't waste their time. No, but no joke. They have the best questions. <laughs> Mucking um, around. So um, I've, I've said it before. I think Kung Fu movies are already dead. I mean, when, when was the last real great Kung Fu movie? So for me, I think the last Kung Fu movie was probably Kung Fu Killer or Kung mm. Fu Jungle with Donnie Yen. Because even though it's set in a modern time, it, the actors and the, the, everyone who fights in there is essentially doing traditional Chinese martial arts. And it's an homage to old Kung Fu movies. It's an homage to Hong Kong stuntmen. It's got lots of cameos. Raymond mm-hmm. Chow is like the last time you see Raymond Chow in anything. And um, so, you know, as a Kung Fu movie fan, it's like it's, it's, the plot is like just paper thin just to advance the fighting mm-hmm. but i mean it, it it is um which makes it a kung fu movie right you know what i think is the last great kung fu movie what kung fury um kung. no kung no fu right. panda. no so so i think kung fu jungle kung fu killer 
uh, as is still newer than those movies. All right, <laughs> although maybe they, they may have been a kung fu panda that's come out in between. Oh, but you know, kung, kung fu kung fu killer is fantastic. It is though. great. Yeah, it's a really great. And and you know, and okay. I'm not. I haven't seen. I'm not always a huge Donnie Yen fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Donnie Yen is good. Don't get me wrong. But I, I think some of the stuff Donnie Yen's a little wooden as an actor, and uh, some of the stuff he does like. Um, they did a remake a couple years ago mm-hmm. uh, with Donnie Yen of uh, Enter the Fat Dragon. Okay? And, Whoa. Yeah, Enter the Fat Dragon was a Sammo Hung film from yeah. the late 70s where basically he, uh, you know... Who played the Sammo Hung character? Yeah, that's right. That's funny. Wow. Uh, so, well, I mean, the problem is that that <laughs> film, obviously, for, for, modern, <laughs> for modern sensibilities is, um, you know, it's, it's like an old Hong Kong comedy. I mean, the original... 70-something, uh, Enter the Fat Dragon. And it has a lot of stuff that's wildly inappropriate. Lei Hoi Sang is in blackface as Jim Kelly's character. You know? It's wild. It's absolutely wild. Yeah, yeah, no, it's absolutely wild, right? It's a film that could have only been made in Hong Kong in the late yeah. 70s, right? Um, having said that, and I've said this before, Sammo Hung, in my opinion, does the best Bruce Lee impression of anyone. All right. Even though physically he doesn't look like Bruce Lee at all. <laughs> but when you see him in like, for example, Skinny Tiger, Fatty Dragon. Okay. Or in Enter the Fat Dragon. Uh-huh. And you actually watch him. He has Bruce Lee's mannerisms down perfectly in a way where it's not parody. It's like almost like he can really do it. He can catch Whereas whenever you watch any other dude seriously trying to be Bruce Lee, like in a Bruce Lee exploitation film. Mm-hmm. It just looks like a bad cartoon of Bruce Lee. Whereas Sammo Hung, who looks nothing like Bruce Lee, somehow pulls it off so much better than oh, all right. of those guys, right? When he moves, it's just like he's just got it, right? And Enter the Fat Dragon, all right, the, you know, the unfortunate blackface and weird racial stereotypes notwithstanding, is a classic. And it's, it's great. I mean, it's one of my favorite Sammo Hung movies. Um, he, he basically pay, uh, plays this like pig, um, pig farmer or pig herder All right. um, who's a huge Bruce Lee fan. And he always wears the black, uh, you know, Tong Jong, like the, the mm-hmm. frog button jacket and pants, like uh, the shoes like Bruce Lee wore. Mm-hmm. And there was this, like one scene at the beginning where he, he goes to this store somewhere in Kowloon and he, he's looking to get some sunglasses like Bruce Lee. Yeah. So he's there, he puts the sunglasses on, he's looking in the mirror, and he asks the guy who works at the shop, he goes, hey, do I look like him? And on the wall, there's a poster of Bruce Lee wearing sunglasses, right? Uh-huh. But right next to the poster of Bruce Lee is a poster of a pig. <laughs> I believe the pig was wearing sunglasses, right? And when he points at it, the shopkeep looks at the poster of, of the pig instead of Bruce Lee, and he goes, yep. Yes. <laughs> but it's really this. great. But anyway, like a few years ago, I mean, it just shows you how much we're like in a post-creative world. I mean, like everything now is a reboot. Everything now is a yeah. remake, a rehash or that whatever. A and, lot. and, you know, and yes. in th- there's rare times it's like, like the new Top Gun movie is like the perfect sequel reboot type. Like they did it right with that one. But for the most part, it's just like, stop. I've not seen that yet. It's really good. So, mm. you know, they, they, Donnie Yen did an Enter the Fat Dragon like two, three years ago. And it's a comedy, and he's like in kind of a fat suit. And the story doesn't, it's not the same story as the Sammo Hung one, but it has the same title for some weird reason. Hmm. And I, I watched it, I tried to watch it a few months ago, and it was just, it was just crap. Hmm. I, just, I had such a hard time. Think about it. I love Bruce Lee. I love Sammo Hung. I think Donnie Yen's a great martial artist. So they may, remake a movie, Enter the Fat Dragon, which is like a Bruce Lee 
exploitation movie from the 70s with Donnie. Like, it should have everything where I would go, yeah, it looks like it'll be interesting. It was just, the humor was, it was pure, it was crap. The fighting, the CGI, it's just, it's just crap. The story's crap. Everything's crap. Like, I'm watching this, I'm like, it was really difficult to get through. And Ouch. so that's why I'm like, yeah, not everything Donnie Yen does turns to gold, right? So uh. I think Kung Fu Killer was the last Kung Fu movie. Um, but Kung Fu movies as a genre have been dead for a very long time. And there's a fantastic documentary about Hong Kong stuntmen that came out recently. I talked about it one or two times on the podcast All already. Right. Um, Sifu David Peterson sent it to me, uh, and it's fantastic. It's basically, it talks about all the famous stuntmen in the history of Hong Kong film, and talks about some of their famous stunts and how they got injured and how the whole stunt industry came to be in Hong Kong. And it's a really fascinating documentary. It came yeah. out last year, I think. And it also talks about the current generation of people like, you know, in Hong Kong training to be stuntmen. And it's like a class of four people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and, uh, and, and, but you have to imagine that the reason yeah. why that generation where you're looking at, you know, the whole Yun family, Yun Wo, Peng, or, you know, Corey Yun, all of those guys, like they come from that opera background. <laughs> so they all knew cinematic martial arts. They all knew martial arts for the stage. They grew up basically on film sets. You know, like Lao Ka Leung, famous Hungar master, but his uh, father was also in films, and he basically grew up on the sets of films. So he was able to marry that authentic kung fu stuff with how it needs to look on camera. Wow! Right, and that's why Lao Ka Leung is a legend. These guys grew up, and even Bruce Lee, even though he didn't make martial art films when he was younger, but Bruce Lee grew up on the sets of film, so he knew filmmaking. Mm -hmm. He knew about directing and writing and how to shoot stuff, and then he had done TV in the States and done some movies in Hollywood. So when he came to Hong Kong to make those films, even though the first couple movies were very low budget, but he had a massive amount of experience behind yeah. the camera and in front of the camera, and he had the martial arts stuff. So when you look at, like, why were these guys good, you know, the, all, all the... The um, the the Seven Fortunes, Sammo Hung, Yun Biu, Yun Hua, Jackie Chan, all of these guys, they learned Chinese opera. They performed. They started working as low-level stuntmen. So they had like all the film uh, experience. They had they could do all the stunts and the tumbling. And then they were such good mimics because they had to learn choreography for opera. That if they told Jackie, hey, you have to be a snake-style martial artist for this movie, he would just look at a couple snake shapes, pick it up, and he could fake it. And the same thing with Yun Hua and Sammo Hung and all these guys, right? right? So who in the new generation has martial arts chops, has the ability to copy choreography easily, like to be able to look at stuff and uh, you know pick it up quickly, like a style that they've never done before, right? Um, who has, you know, the, the, the tumbling, the acrobatic background, the discipline, all of that kind of stuff in the new generation. No one. All right. What you have now is CGI. And I tell you, I will take any Shaw mm. Brothers, janky, you know, pink looking blood uh, Shaw Brothers movie, blood yeah. guts oh, everywhere with yeah. really bad reverse. Like the guy jumps down, but it's a, or jumps up, but it, you can tell it's just reverse or <laughs> yeah. whatever, right? I will take that shit any day of the week over like all this CGI shit mm. where you know that that actor is not really doing it and it just, it just doesn't look right and it doesn't look real. There is no one to take up this mantle anymore. That, that generation that could make films like that, not just the actors, but the people who could direct them like that. Mm-hmm. Is dead. I mean, look, even one of the greatest, Jackie Chan. 
I can't tell you the last time I watched a Jackie Chan movie. I can't watch any of this because now he's making a lot more money either making movies from mainland China or making some schlocky American films. But those are not the films that he did in Hong Kong. Like, that's not, he wow. doesn't make a police story anymore. He can't. He's too old. Damn, so, damn, damn. So. That's becoming another lost art. No, it is already. No, it's, it's already gone. Damn, all right? damn, damn. Because if you, if you look, uh, Kung Fu films, they started to gain popularity in the late 60s. You had, obviously, sword films, Mohap, you know, Wuxia. Then Bruce Lee came. And then it was all about, like, you know, the, the fist fighting movies or with a kun pang, like fist and weapon kind of movies, right? And then Bruce Lee dies and that's like a huge vacuum. And then Shaw Brothers uses that as an opportunity to kind of attack back because they lost some ground to Golden Harvest because of Bruce Lee. Then Bruce Lee dies and then Shaw Brothers kind of hits back. And then mm-hmm. Golden Harvest has to find someone new to kind of fill in those shoes. And what you see is you see those guys kind of at their peak, the actors and the directors doing like all the best Kung Fu stuff. Think about all the stuff that came in that late seventies generation, right? Yeah. Think of all of Lao Kar Leung's masterpieces, 36 Chambers, Heroes of the East, um, uh, Marshall Club, all of those, like those films are so good. And then think of Chang Che's stuff, Five Deadly Venoms, uh, Crippled Avengers, all of these kind of, these movies are amazing. And then look at what they were doing at Golden Harvest. You have Magnificent Butcher, then later after Jackie made those movies for, um, si Yun, then he came back and started making all these huge movies for uh, Golden Harvest, right? And then in the mid-80s, uh, kung fu movies were no longer in vogue, like costume kung fu movies, because Jackie started to do modern action movies, and then everyone wanted to do modern action movies. And then mm. kind of mm. from the mid-80s until the very early 90s, you really didn't see costume kung fu movies anymore there are no real costume kung fu movies there might be some but not really from that time it was all everyone was trying to match what jackie was doing right so jackie's you know jumping out of you know all buses double-decker buses into buildings and stuff and then dmb films is like trying to like hire a bunch of cheap stuntmen from china to like do better than what jackie could do and everyone is just basically trying to break each other right oh, wow. i mean listen to some of those stories that vincent lynn told on our podcast on season one mm-hmm. you know all those crazy stories about the stunts vincent lynn is from that time period where they were just making modern action movies in yeah. you know the, the mid to late 80s early 90s right so he was in that time period where everyone is basically trying to outdo jackie chan and he was also in a movie with jackie chan and then it wasn't until um, Choi Hak decided to revive uh, Wong Feihong as a character in 1991's Once Upon a Time in China, which is just in Chinese titled Wong Feihong. Okay. And then he um, very controversially tried to cast Jet Li as um, Wong Feihong. And everyone lost their shit because, ah. because Jet Li is an actor from mainland China. And Wong Feihong is like the mo- one of the most famous southern Chinese folk heroes, meaning... Cantonese folk heroes and Jet Li doesn't uh, speak Cantonese. Cantonese. He understands some Cantonese. I actually recently saw a video of Lao Kar Leung speaking Cantonese to Jet Li and Jet Li understood and he basically answered in Mandarin. So I think, mm. I think Jet Li actually okay. understands a fair amount of Cantonese. But it was weird because you had a non-Cantonese speaking actor playing Wong Feihong, which is just bizarre. Mm. All right, And then it was very controversial, but it became a huge hit. And then that started that early and then that 1990s kung fu rebirth where they had all of those you know wong fei hong movies and then uh, jackie chan did drunken master 2 and then you have um uh, all the whole once upon a time in china series and then they, they kind of brought that back for a little bit but then it went a little overboard with the wires and stuff like that and then that 
that fad also died. Mm. And now you kind of generally have just these big epic actioners from China where it's like, you know, they're trying to make everything like Lord of the Rings with these huge battlefield scenes and stuff like that. But those Kung Fu movies, man, they're dead. Absolutely dead. Ouch. Yep. Man. Yep, yep, yep. All right, what else you got for me? Man, I think you just killed him, KFG. I mean, I, th- I watched his soul just die. Oh, yeah. I told him that. He thought I was going to say, no, Kung Fu movies are still around and good. <laughs> mm-hmm. and then you that, that's all I've got to say about that because we're too sad. Oh, yeah. All right. God, that's heartbreaking. 30 minutes in. Uh, okay, we're done. I can't go any further. <laughs> we started with high energy and I just, I just, <sighs> I talked to myself into a deep though. depression. It is hard. I'm going to need therapy after this, uh, we just after need to this episode. The, the true revival. Kung mm-hmm. Fu buzz killer. The Kung, Kung Fu Messiah. buzz killer, yeah. God. And get to call me the KFD Kung Fu Downer. All right. That was the wrong button to press. Uh, right? All right. All right. What you got, Dre? Next up, we got Raid Marinkovich. Marinkovich. I, I think it's Rade like Sade. Rade? Yeah. Mm. Good point. All right. Great episode again. Awesome. Your story about the styles, especially Monkey Fist, remind me of a story. Chen Quan Tai was the first grandmaster that the Shaw brothers took under contract. And he was a master in the monkey style. Also, he was planned to fight choreographer for the big boss. What? Hmm. He was planned as the fight choreographer for the big boss. But there was some troubles. Do you know what really happened? Nice greetings from Australia. I mean, Austria. I love how he always gets Austria and Australia mixed up. Well, I don't All right. know. I never do that. Randomly, yeah. completely I never do different that. I thought, I, thought yeah. I just saw Elvin. I'm going to bring him, I'm gonna bring him to Austria one day and just wait for him to ask <laughs> someone to put another shrimp on the barbie <laughs> over there. <laughs> All right. I can't wait to go yeah. to Austria. Or go so. to Australia and he asks for a Wiener Schnitzel. Oh, Wiener right. Schnitzel. All right. Yeah. You, know, um, you know, Christian's from Australia. Yeah. 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 I, I we tell know him all we, the time. We I know always someone, ask him, how's Australia? We know someone from Australia. Austria, yeah. sorry. <laughs> okay. So, um, all right. So, I don't actually know anything about, or I've never heard that Chan Kun Tai was the original choreographer for the big boss. All right. Mm. Now, just because I haven't heard it doesn't mean it's not true. I mean, there's a lot that I don't know. Just as anyone there? who spends any time with me, right? Is there? Uh, yes. The gaps uh, <laughs> in my knowledge are vast and great. Um, so that might be a better question for someone like a Steve Carriage or a Bay Logan or so- someone like that. Because uh, off the top of my head, I never heard mm-hmm. about uh, Chan Gun Tai being the original fight choreographer. I do know that... Um, the original director for the big boss uh, was was not Lo Wei, all right? Lo Wei, who later went on to direct uh, the big boss. It was someone else, and that guy just absolutely butted heads with Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. And that initial director is the one that gave Bruce Lee the uh, nickname, nickname of Lei Samgurk, all right? Le Three, three-legged yeah. Lee, right? Yeah. Which, uh, as I've mentioned many times, uh, that the, 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 <laughs> the characteristic of that nickname changed over time, right? Yeah. The first director called him Three-Legged Lee because he, he just saw that Bruce basically threw three different types of kicks, like a round kick, a spinning kick, and a side kick. Mm-hmm. 
And then he it was essentially using that nickname to mean like Bruce was a three trick pony and nothing else. Damn. He didn't have anything else, right? Tried to clown him. Because that first director expected, you know, having worked with other Chinese opera actors, mm-hmm. you know, that they can do all the kicks and the tumbling and they can do all this stuff, right? And they also wanted, especially if you see the choreography at the time, it was like very long, drawn out, clang, clang, back forth kind of stuff where Bruce Lee wanted to go kind of Kung Fu John Wayne and just whoosh, and one punch across the screen and the guy's off, right? Mm. And so... That first director just kind of butted heads with Bruce, and then eventually they got rid of him, and then Lo Wei came in, who was someone that Bruce only liked 5% more than the first director, all right? <laughs> uh, and then Bruce ended up really hating Lo Wei, right? Uh, which is funny. It's not like they replaced them with this director that Bruce ended up being yeah. super friends with. They replaced right. him with a guy that Bruce just, like, could just... For at least for that film, could just right. barely stand, right? Oh, man. The fight choreographer for uh, Golden Harvest at that time was um, Hong Yingkit. Hong Yingkit. Yeah, and Hong Yingkit was the, the big boss in The Big Boss, the bad guy. Okay. So that guy who's the bad guy, he's actually the fight choreographer for Golden Harvest. That's cool. Yeah, the older guy. It's kind of funny. They always had Bruce, with the exception of, they always had like, the villain was always like some kind of older guy, right? It's like, look at like Han and look at Han Yin Gid. It's like, why why are they always throwing these geezers at him? The wisdom guys. Yeah, exactly, right? Like the big boss final villain geezer, you know? It's like, (laughs) it doesn't make any sense. But it's interesting that when Bruce made his own film, he put Chuck Norris as the villain, someone who was like same age and bigger build and more physically imposing, right? Yeah. But for his like studio films, it was always like some geezer. <laughs> they always had him fight, right? So um, so I, I always thought that Hon Yin Geet was always the choreographer for Big Boss. And because uh, the Big Boss ended up being a smash hit, it was a very low-budget film. They didn't have high expectations for it, and then it ends up being a huge hit. Mm-hmm. When Bruce did his second film, Fist of Fury, um, Hon Yin Geet is still the official fight choreographer because he like his um, Golden Harvest is a studio and they have like you're the stu- you're, you're the official choreographer you're the official director um, but because Bruce was so popular they essentially let Bruce choreograph the fight scenes for Fist of Fury mm-hmm. but they didn't want Hon Yin Geet to lose face because he was technically the choreographer. So they allowed him to choreograph one fight scene in Fist of Fury. All right. And when you know that that's the one fight scene that Bruce Lee didn't do, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Ah. Okay, so when you watch Fist of Fury, obviously all the fight scenes with Bruce are classic Bruce, right? You know, big punches, big kicks, all that kind of stuff, right? But then there's one fight scene that Bruce is actually not in the scene at all. And that's when the students are training at the Jingwu Academy. Uh And then the Japanese come in and they're looking for Chen Zhen. You know, because he had yeah. just beaten up all the Japanese guys. And then so they show up to the school and then they like, I think they beat up a bunch of people at the school and the Japanese right. are fighting the Jingbu students, right? Uh-huh. Bruce is not in that scene. That is the one fight scene they let Hon Yin Geet choreograph. And when you look at all of Bruce's fights, it's all, bah, bah, bah. So, you know, it's the Bruce Lee stuff that we know. And when you see that one fight scene, it's, Mm. It just looks like a, a very standard copy and paste kung fu movie, right? <laughs> so, um, so this is the first I've ever heard about Chan Kun Tai supposedly being the fight choreographer. I don't know, I don't know why Raymond Chow would have hired Chan Kun Tai off the bat to be a choreographer because he was still very green in general as an actor himself. Now, Chan Kun Tai, although um, in in the question he was 
titled as a grandmaster. Chang Guntai was not a grandmaster at oh, all oh. in in uh, Dai Sing Pekwar. Dai Sing Pekwar is this style. It's, it's a monkey and axe fist, right? It's basically everyone just calls it monkey kung fu. Right. But actually, when you learn that style, you have to learn all the Pekwar first, which is all the axe fist stuff, which is similar to Choi Lei Fat. And then the advanced students can learn monkey because monkey is very difficult and, and uh, it's kind of the more advanced part of it. So it's it's somewhat mislabeled just as monkey kung fu. Gotcha. Although when you go to a Daising Pekwar school, um, from my understanding, you're not going to be doing monkey for a while, right? And uh, the Daising Pekwar school was run by um, the late Chen Chong. And mm -hmm. um, oddly enough, I have a certificate from Hong Kong from like this... Uh, Council of Masters. They they gave me a rank because like Chinese kung fu uh, styles usually don't have any kind of ranking system. So they created this council in Hong Kong of all these like kung fu masters to like rank kung fu masters so that you could yeah. say that you had a level because normally there's no level in there or whatever. So you would have some kind of standing. And um, my Sibak like signed me up on on that thing and then they mm. gave me like the, the eighth level master's title or something it's, it's over there on the wall you can see it and um that you did show yeah, me yeah and, and that certificate right is, there on top uh top right left. behind the dummy there yeah and no, on the bottom oh, right on the God. way bottom right and that certificate is signed by chan sao chung all right the the the, the, the late chan sao chung the grandmaster of the icing pekwar oh. so um Daising Pekwar was interesting because uh, it wasn't just like a monkey kung fu style. First of all, Chan Sao Chung, the grandmaster, was a very short guy. I think he was like four foot eight or four foot nine. Wow. And he, um, and that's why when he performed monkey kung fu, it just looked amazing because he was like, he was really short. He was low to the ground and he was very fast. Hmm. And so it was like, he was like the perfect guy to be the grandmaster of that style. Okay. But uh, Daising Pekwar also differentiated itself from some of the other Kung Fu schools in a couple of ways. One, a number of Daising Pekwar students uh, also were actors. Because of the, the axe fist movements and the monkey Kung Fu, the people who came out of that school were like really well physically conditioned to do things like films. And Chan Guntai was one of Chan Sao Chung's students. And so he was like very well built and, you know, very, if you can do axe fist and monkey Kung Fu, then you can pretty much imitate any style that a choreographer is going to ask you to do. Because mm. anything, if, if you're a monkey kung fu guy and yeah, the choreographer says, I need you to be a Wing Chun guy for this movie, that's going to be Your really easy are, because you're just going to just have to stand upright and do some hand movements. You don't uh -huh. have to go to the ground and do all that kind of stuff. So that's why um, Dai Sing Pekwar produced um, a number of people who uh, went on to become actors and, and, and film stars. But Dai Sing Pekwar was also interesting because, uh, also very successful because they produce a number of full contact fighters. And it mm. seemed that um, for the full contact fighting, they didn't really, they didn't use monkey kung fu, or I don't know how much axe fist they used, but they, uh, they started to do a lot of kickboxing and like Thai boxing. So I think uh, Chan Sao Chung was kind of smart in that, you know, when he was sending his boys to go into the full contact tournaments, he basically had them train in either some kind of kickboxing or Thai boxing. So they were going in there as Dai Seng Pekwar practitioners, but basically they were using maybe Muay Thai mixed in with their Pekwar techniques. And so Chan Kun Thai was an early champion of the Dai Seng Pekwar school. He was like a full contact champion. Okay. And, um, and then he became a movie guy. So 
I don't know why they would just take some like kid who just won some tournaments. He was like a full contact champion and be like, all right, kid, you're going to be the choreographer for Big Boss. Mm. So I've never heard that. But that doesn't mean it's not true. I just may not have heard. I mean, I, I could totally be wrong on this. I mean, I'm wrong on lots of things. So um, <laughs> it's possible. I just, I never heard of it. And as far as I knew, it was always Hon Ying was always the fight choreographer for, for Big Boss. But Chan Gun Tai then later became kind of one of the stable actors for, uh, for Run Run Shaw. In, yeah. and, and he did all sorts of movies, playing, usually playing a good guy, but occasionally like in Crippled Avengers playing a villain. And uh, Chan Gun Tai still pops up from time to time. Uh, uh, he, you know, he'll, he'll still play a role here and there. He was in that Final Master movie, which I always kind of make yeah. fun of. He was in that film as well. <laughs> but uh, Chan Gun Tai was a serious, uh, serious banger. But um, even to this day, although he's very senior in the Daiseng Pekwar style, mm-hmm. um, he would not be addressed as Grand Master. All right? mm. The Grand Master of that style was Chan Sao Chong, who just recently passed away three, four years ago or something like that, right? right. So um, Chan Guntai shouldn't be addressed as a grandmaster. And that's no knock on him. I'm just like, those titles really mean something in Chinese Kung Fu circles, especially if we're talking about someone who is the head of a style. And at that time, when Chan Guntai, you know, in the early 70s, when he started making movies, he was a full contact champion from the Daising Pekwa style, but he certainly would not have been a grandmaster and, and would have been very odd to call him as such at that time. Mm. But um, no, I like Chan Guntai. He's, he's, uh, he's a cool dude. Yeah. 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 What else you got? You haven't met him? I have not met him. Okay. Um, I have on two occasions in Hong Kong basically missed meeting Cross him. Paths. Yeah. Cr- missed meeting him by very, oh, okay. well, like, two, like you know, two sailboats yeah. in the night kind of thing, right? But sorry, go past. <laughs> Leave that in, Andrew. All right, so uh, just kidding. Um, no, so I've unfortunately missed him a few times. So I, I know I know people who know him. He's one of the guys on my list. Like when I go to Hong Kong uh, mm-hmm. to go to go and meet him. Speaking of Hong Kong, all right, Hong Kong just recently no. lifted the hotel quarantine. Wow. Yeah. So that means when you travel there, as far as I understood. Oh, uh, you don't dick. have to stay. And maybe that's right now, maybe that's just for residents. I don't know if that, that might not apply to tourists, but the fact that they just lifted that for, at that's least for the residents, kind of means that it's probably going to be lifted soon just in general. Uh-huh. So um, as I've mentioned on a number of more recent podcasts about the yearly Hong Kong trip, um, I think now I'm actually going to officially start planning, start planning. the, um, the KFG Hong Kong Ooh. Wing Chun or Hong Kong tour, I should say, right? Damn. So it'll be, um, the tour itself will be seven days, yeah. all right? I'll probably stay for about two weeks, but like when people come to join me on the tour, that tour will be seven days. And, and, and okay. it's kind of like morning to evening kind of thing. Like in the morning, we get up, we have our meal, or morning we get up and we have training. We're gonna have like probably about an hour of Wing Chun, tra- Wing Chun and physical training every day. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we're gonna go eat we're gonna go do every day is gonna be something different right so one day we may go to visit grandmaster yip man's grave another day we might do wing chun related stuff another day we might do bruce lee related stuff another day we might do kung fu movie related stuff another day i might introduce students to different masters of different styles and another day we might just do more touristy local stuff but as you know there's no better tour guide of hong kong than me i can show stuff even the locals don't know about so um that tour will be seven days. And then so what I'll do is uh, very shortly, I'm going to come up with pricing for people mm-hmm. who want to do the tour with me. So I'll have like, um, yeah, basically, I'll just 
I'll charge like a flat rate for the tour okay. right, for seven days. And then, of course, because people are coming from everywhere, you have to arrange your own flight and you have to arrange your own accommodations. Although, um, if people want to like share an Airbnb thing, um, I think we can do that, but that'll be like a separate thing. So I'll have a couple different options, All right. but we'll probably start uh, booking that soon. And every time I mentioned it, everyone's like, give me the info. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah, First of all, cool your it. horses. All right. Yeah. When the Hong Kong trip is available... I will literally make a link mm -hmm. with a page that mm -hmm. has all the info on there. It's not like you need to have the secret handshake to get it. Once it's official, I'll put I'll put it on the podcast and we'll Damn. we'll put that information there. And you can just go click the link and pay for it and register. She might all be right? sold out in five seconds. Yeah, well, I'm only going to take I want to ideally just take 12 people. Right. Um, I, I might take some more people like who are City Wing Chun students, but in terms of like podcast fans who want to go there, yeah. I I can't take more than 12 or maybe 15 tops mm. because I don't want to be walking around Hong Kong with a group of 30 people. It's just, it's not tenable. You know how tight Hong Kong is and it's yeah. like, I don't want to be walking down, you know, uh, Loyan Gai, you know, ladies market with 30 people with a yeah. bullhorn. All right, everyone uh, come here. Bullhorn. What do you see over here? Like, I'm not going to be doing that yeah. to it. It's going to be a lot more intimate, right? So mm. that's why I'm going to have it for fewer people. All right. All right. Um, but anyway, it'll be in August of next year, most likely late August. All mm. right. Which is super hot. All right. So if you ha are not acclimated to like really hot and humid weather, um, you know, don't complain to me because I'm going in August. All right. Ooh. So like deal with it. All right. And if you can't deal with like the super hot weather, then I would advise you don't come because it is super hot in August. All right. As you know, that's yes. when we were there. Best yeah. time. Yeah, so I am, um, um, first of all, I didn't know there was a secret handshake because um, I want one. Oh, yes. I want to know it. Um, secondly, uh, the thing that I actually forgot last time when you were talking about this that I actually want to do when we go there, I want to see the Queen Elizabeth that's in the harbor. Um, Into ship. ship, yeah. Are we talking about the one that like sank or the one mm -hmm. that like was damaged or something? Yeah, it was like, a fire or something yeah, like that. It's like half sank. Did we see yeah, that? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. But I know about that. Yeah, yeah. We could totally do that. We could probably. I think we can see that on the way to Macau. <laughs> yeah, because it was when it you was take in, the boat to Macau. It was in the man with the golden gun. Yes, that's right. Yes, I could probably show you a couple couple spots from the man with the golden gun. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Yeah. That's my second favorite. Show you where Hervé Villachez did his thing. Yeah. yeah. By, by the way, if, you, places, if anyone wants to hear any wild Hong Kong stories, uh, you can read Roger Moore's biography where he talks about the man with the golden gun and he talks about Hervé Villachez in Hong Kong. Okay. Yeah, oh, some sure. wild stories about that anyway. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. No, so anyway, so, so um, again, every this time I mention happen. the Hong Kong trip, everyone's like, I need to have the information... We will put it out there. We will put it on a bullhorn. Everyone will see it. It's not going to, the, the, the tour is not going to be secretly promoted and you're not going to find out about it. I'm going to, I'll probably make, we'll probably do a whole episode on it. We'll probably, wow. you know, everything will be out there. It's just that I need to arrange everything and I need to double check that the dates are going to work and I need to double check that the policy, in fact, allows us to travel there. Yeah. So um, if all those things are, if all those ducks are in a row, we're going to Hong Kong in 2023, man. All right, I'm super excited. I haven't been there since 2019 because of the uh, uh, virus of unknown origins. All I right. haven't been there since 2017. Uh, 18. 18? Yeah. 
I haven't right. been. Yeah. yeah All right. And you colonized the damn place. Shit. No, I feel cheated, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> because you're going to go there now, and you're not going to have the same swag you would right. have had had you gone there before, exactly. say, 96. No, we 97. still have the same swag. No, I don't know, I mean, man. I don't know. You clearly haven't seen any British expats in Hong Kong uh, hanging no. out in Wan Chai at you 2 in the not. morning. All right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah no. well, if, if I do see any of those, you're, you're going to hear me start speaking in an American accent because <laughs> I do not want to be associated. No, I totally get it. All right, look, like, you know. Can you imagine that? People always they like. gravitate pe- towards him. No, no, he, 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 I can totally see him using an American accent. I get it. You I know why? Because as an American, yeah. all right, I've never been more embarrassed traveling the world than by other Americans. Oh, wow. There have been times when I lived in Germany yeah. and there were tons of Americans who were in the Heidelberg area because there's a military base there. Yeah. So you, sometimes you, you're walking in Heidelberg, like down the street there, and there's a bunch of Americans and they're being loud and obnoxious and embarrassing. And in those moments, I will just straight up pretend to be German. <laughs> oh, because what? there's nothing more. Imba- I, and I think that in general, you get embarrassed by your own kind when you're outside of your, where you're yeah. from. Because sometimes you look at like your own kind is kind of embarrassing itself. Especially when you're British. We we call it Brits abroad, right? You know what I mean? Because they're oftentimes really, really just kind of like yobbish and dumb. And they're the ones that shout loudly about not being foreigners in foreign countries. And I'm just like... Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Americans are the same way, but there are not too many Americans living in Hong Kong. But yeah, I I kind of feel it vicariously yeah. through them, through you, for the Brits <laughs> when I'm over there. Oh, I just go, oh, shit. And then when people come up to me and it's like, no, I'm American. Do you hear this accent? I am not whatever that guy is. All right. <laughs> no, yes. just kidding. We love the Brits. All right. Mm, great. I'm glad. Well, someone does. Yeah. <laughs> how's That's the queen? Smooth. How's the queen doing? By the way. Oh, she's doing all right. All right. So, next question. Oh, that sucks. She's, all right. She's chilling with Coolio. Oh, man. And DMX. Yeah. Oh, man. It's a man. fantastic you ride. You guys are terrible All right, let's people. go. <laughs> hey, Kung Fu Genius listeners. If you're looking for an easy way to support this podcast, please consider joining the Kung Fu Genius Patreon. You can support for as little as $5 a month and get access to episodes a few days early. Higher levels of support get additional goodies, exclusive content, and even your name in the description. The baller level of support will give you the opportunity to be a Dre for a day and give me a rest from this guy over here. A link for the Kung Fu Genius Patreon page is in the description below. You can also support us by subscribing to the Kung Fu Genius on YouTube, liking this video, and sharing it on your social media platforms. When you subscribe on YouTube, don't forget to hit that bell for notifications so you will know as soon as a new episode or a premiere is available for you to watch. For those of us who listen to us on audio, it's a huge help if you don't just rate the podcast, but also write a review wherever you listen to the Kung Fu Genius, such as Apple or Google Podcasts. I really appreciate it. And now back to me. All right. Next up, we got Kelvin Dyson. That's what's up. All right. Another great episode, Alex. Awesome. Couple things to throw at you. First, Steven Seagal as Williams. LOL. Ha! Can you imagine Steven Seagal saying the lines, Bullshit, Mr. Han Man. Hand Man. Mr. Hand Man. Have you never seen Enter the Dragon? And Jesus Christ, who do I have as a podcast host? Oh, and, no. man, you come straight out of a comic book. Can you imagine Steven Seagal saying those lines? I can't because Steven Seagal can never put himself in a position where he gets his butt kicked or loses. Mm. If you ever hear the famous story about uh, his 
his Saturday Night Live episode. I was almost about to watch that. Yeah. You know, the thing is that he he had a really... First of all, he uh, he was totally banned from Saturday Night Live after his episode. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, But, like, you know, the people who talk about it just talk about, like, how how humorless he was because he didn't ever want to be the butt of any jokes. He had to take himself seriously all the time. Like, he he just... There could be no humor that was directed towards him. And he had to be, like, the total tough guy, right? And even... Even in most of his films, he doesn't ever really seem to have any adversity in the fight scenes. Yeah. So you never, it, he's never like uh, Ralph Macchio just getting the snot kicked out of him <laughs> until he remembers, <laughs> yeah. oh, right, oh. I can punch this way. And uh, then everyone cheers him on. You know what's so great uh, about Karate Kid is that he's kind of shitty at karate. Yeah, he's always he, getting He's, he's always getting his beat. ass beat, yeah, right? Yeah. But then he always learns some kind of gimmick yeah. that pulls it together at the he end, right? The crane kick for yeah. Karate Kid 1. For Karate Kid he's 2, he's got the, the drum technique with, uh, you know, the Compton slap across <laughs> the face, right? <laughs> right. And then for the uh, third, form, uh, third movie, it was Kata. Hmm. All right? Hmm. Um, and yes. so, yeah, but it, it's kind of funny. But, like, you would never see Steven Seagal get, like, the stuff. Stuffing kicked out of him seven ways like from Sunday. Right. And then at the end, hit. he just remembers that his sensei said, you know, Steven, <laughs> punch him in the balls. And then, <laughs> and then the music changes. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes, oh. okay. No, because yeah, he what's always... the adversity that he ever faces? No, because his ego will not allow him to end. Like anyone who's ever... Yeah, I mean, I say it like I'm speaking from experience, mm-hmm. but I mean, like I've watched a lot of interviews with people who've worked with him. Mm-hmm. And they all say the same thing. So, I mean, like, you, he would never be able to play Williams because Williams, spoiler alert, gets killed in Enter the Dragon. Yeah. And he gets his ass kicked <laughs> by an old man. Oh, man. He kicks Han's metal hand. It's the hand man. Yeah. Han, <laughs> Han. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Bullshit, Mr. Hand man. <laughs> man, you come right out of a comic book. What's up? I'm going to say, no, watch every one of his movies, Steven Seagal's. Okay. Yes. Watch him against the final boss. And see one moment where he might get kicked. Right. It never happens. No. Like, he always, always dominates the final boss. Dominate. It's just that yeah. the, the fight might last maybe 10 more seconds. He's like a dominatrix. Right. Just dominating. Really? All right, no. Scatman Dre. <laughs> what? Yeah, so I, I, I cannot actually visualize that because Steven Seagal will never allow himself to be the guy who... Not just a guy who loses, but forget that even someone who faces a, a modicum of adversity in any of his films. Wow. I mean, okay, in Hard to Kill, yeah. he gets he gets messed up, and then he has goes on this training montage and comes back and wipes the floor with everyone. All right, but that's almost like to just to show how badass he is. I can be in a coma and still get all my karate aikido back. Right. He actually kicks the ass of three of the gunmen. Before one of them finally shoots him. Right. That's the other thing. Yeah. They and they in, had to shoot him to they win. They had to shoot him to win. Yeah. Because they couldn't mm. do it with their, um, with their karate. Oh, man. It just wouldn't happen. I guess it's just well-written movies. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Usually, <laughs> usually a well-written movie has yeah. to put our protagonist in a situation in where the stakes are high. Where he's, shit. Yeah, where, where you know, it, it's, it's not clear how this person is going to get out. They have to face some kind of adversity. Mm. That's called a character arc. That's called story building, right? Uh, if the guy just, you know, and that's like to a certain degree, I think why, you know, 
Bruce Lee would have had to change his tune with his films a little bit. I mean, look at Big Boss. He's he's the same guy at the end of the movie that he was at the beginning of the movie. Okay. The only difference is they killed all his bros. Uh-huh. All right. In Fists of Fury, he's the same. Chen Zhen doesn't really have a character arc. He just gets more and more pissed off throughout the movie. Okay. In in Way of the Dragon, which Bruce Lee did write so himself, true. there's a small character arc where when he first starts fighting Chuck Norris, the way he beat everyone else up, he has some problems. And then he has to adapt and start bouncing around. And that is the summation of Bruce Lee's character arc in Way of the Dragon. Because he's basically just an ass kicker the whole time, right? Bruce Lee's character arc in Enter the Dragon does not exist. He's this badass Shaolin monk at the beginning. And he gets some scratches from Han. But... He's just the, he his his character doesn't experience any kind of growth. He kills the dude who's mm-hmm. responsible for the death of his sister. Mm-hmm. You know, he he stomps O'Hara just rah right and walks away. Mm. And there's but that doesn't advance the story. It's just like <laughs> that dude's the reason why my sister. I'm gonna kill that dude. Yeah. He kills that dude. He's like, all right, back to fighting all the other guys. Uh-huh. You see what I mean? Hero. He's a superhero. So the thing is that there's, real, there's no real character arc for any of Bruce Lee's characters, save for like a brief moment in Way of the Dragon where he has... But the thing is, the thing in Way of the Dragon, it's like he's getting his butt kicked by Chuck Norris, right? Like okay. at first. And then he has to adapt. And you could say, all right, there he has to adapt according to his opponent. But in story writing, that, that's not a payoff because mm. you would have had to have built that earlier in the film for that yeah. to then be a character like earlier in the film you would have to have a scene where Bruce Lee said like no Chinese Kung Fu the way it is like someone shows him like some boxing thing like this moving around mm-hmm. and he's like oh that's totally useless Chinese Kung Fu can beat all that stuff and like you know and, and you, you show that he's kind of like a rigid traditionalist yeah okay and then when he's getting beat up at the end he kind of remembers about that like boxing stuff and then he does it and then he realized then he has to then there would be more of a character arc right so Bruce Lee never actually has a character arc, right? But it's why, not nearly as bad as Steven Seagal. I think that's why Rocky works so well. Oh, Rocky's such a great full film. Full of like adversity. Just full of adversity, at him. right? And you're just like, damn. Yeah, I mean, the, the, first movie, the first movie is just like pure underdog yeah. story, right? Oh, God. And then the second, it's like, you know, he has to deal with all the stuff with Adrian. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then in the third one. Oh, Mr. T is. He, yeah, but I mean, think of that. Mm. In the third, it's such a perfect. Like, I, I think it's actually a very good franchise because, like, yeah. in the third one, he's now rich and he's become comfortable. Yeah. And he kind of lost that hunger. Think yeah. of, like, Conor McGregor's kind of thing, right? Okay. Oh, this is a common story for fighters. Oh, wow. And then he gets his ass kicked seven ways from Sunday yeah. by uh, B.A. Baracus, a.k.a. Clubber Lang. First Hulk Hogan, though. Hulk Hogan busted ass. Yeah, but that was kind of fake. Yeah, but then he, but he kind of did it for real, right? And it was like, yeah. yo, what's going on here? Yeah, All right, Baracus slow your road. B.A. Baracus put yeah. it on him. I ain't getting no plane, Hannibal. <laughs> <laughs> and then he has to, and then, but the cool thing is, then he goes back to his old rival. You know what I mean? He, Apollo Creed comes and trains, trains him. him. Yeah, which is like amazing. That is so. Wow. I get goosebumps about yeah, yeah, that yeah, shit. Yeah. Right? Okay. Sick. Yeah, and then Rocky Four. All right. Apollo Jesus. gets killed in an Jesus. exhibition, Ouch. and then he's got to go old school. Oh. All right, and then Rocky oh. Five doesn't exist in the canon. We don't talk about that one. All right, no. All right, we don't no, talk don't about that there. one. It's not necessary. All right. Okay, Ooh. Balboa. He comes back older. Mm. You know what I mean? 
and then and then Creed. I think that yeah, some people yeah. have issues with some of the Creed. I think the Creed movies are great. Mm. It's a great story because what else are you going to do with it, right? The son of Apollo Creed has to come mm-hmm. back, and he's got to deal with all that shit. That's beautiful. Canelo's beautiful. in uh, Creed three. I think he might play the. Antagonist. Is he playing Creed? <laughs> no, they I think Canelo's going to be a bad guy. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. All right. Oh, that's good. I'm half Cuban. And you know yeah. what the Cubans say? What? Never trust a redhead who speaks Spanish. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't that's say that. So I made that up. Foul. All right. Do we have, uh, do we have no, another one? There's more to that. Oh, there's more to it. All right. There's more. I didn't even finish this half the question. All right. Here we go. We were just bitching about yeah. Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal, man. All right. Uh, yeah, man. Straight out of a comic book. LOL. I think they I think the person who dubbed Bruce Lee's voice was John Little, who dubbed his voice in Warrior's Journey, I believe. Right. I do believe you can search for Bruce Lee's real voice in that scene. That's true. That scene with the Abbott was added in 1998 for the 25th anniversary of ED. Great episode. Yeah, that's true. Um so we talked about that on another episode where I said like that, that scene where he's talking to the abbot at Ching San Monastery, which yes. by the way, if you guys come on the fantastic KFG Hong Kong tour, I will take you to Ching San Monastery. Just uh, bring, your, bring your walking shoes on that day. Because going to Ching San Monastery, if you don't take a taxi to the top, mm. the hill is like this. Yeah, so you go up that hill, and it's like so steep, at some point you just have to turn around and walk backwards up the hill just to give your shins a rest. Ah, <laughs> it's pretty, but it's a great walk. It's a great little walk. And it's the oldest Buddhist. We, we didn't do that, did we? No, we didn't do it. I didn't want to take you there because I don't like you. Um, but, uh, <laughs> wow. I don't like this guy. No, you know what it bring is? Bring him up there. You know what it is? There's so much to do in Hong Kong. Mm. And we did so much we on our trip there. And there was easily 10 or 15 things that we didn't have a chance to do because there's just so much to do over there, right? Wow. But if, if I have an official tour of Hong Kong with KFG mm. fans, then I have to put Ching San Monastery there because it's the, the whole finger pointing away to the moon scene is there, right? And then that yeah. walk with the abbot. And they've since actually added like some cardboard cutout of Bruce Lee where he stood so you can kind of stand there and stuff like that. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Um, and it's, uh, it's, you can see it, it's, quite, it's basically the same as it was in that film. Oh. And that location... Um, was actually kind of a last-minute thing. Uh, the guy who plays the abbot, Roy Chow, mm-hmm. that actor, he's actually uh, uh, also made a number of films here in America. Roy Chow was the guy who played Senzo Tanaka in Bloodsport. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Frank Dukes' sensei is played by a Chinese actor, Roy Chow. That's the guy who's the abbot in Enter the Dragon. All right. And Roy All Chow right. was, a, um, was a pilot, like an amateur pilot, like a flew small planes, I think, like Cessnas and stuff like that. Okay. And uh, when they were looking for a scene, because originally they didn't have that scene in the beginning of Enter the Dragon, and they wanted to punch it up a little bit, have something to further introduce Bruce Lee as kind of a philosophical badass. And Roy Chow, the abbot, saw that a monastery from the airplane. Wow. Because that monastery, Ching Chao Monastery, is up by Tun Moon, which now, now Hong Kong is so much more connected than it used to be with the MTR and the buses and everything. You can get kind of every, you can even get to the new territories like where Yip Man is buried relatively quickly. But in the 70s, that was like a trek to go over there because you didn't have all the public transportation the way you do now. Okay. So that was like way off the beaten path. Now you can literally take the MTR to Tun Moon and then, you know, take a... Uh, take a streetcar or a taxi or whatever there. It's, it's very easy to get there. But back then, that was like a trek. Mm-hmm. And so they went and then shot that. And what's interesting is that, so I think 
either this commenter or someone else actually posted the um, a link on YouTube which had Bruce's original voice in that scene. Um, because mm. they did not use that scene in the original release of Enter the Dragon, that scene where he's talking to the abbot, and so I do not hit, it hits all by itself, that whole scene. They cut it out because I think the Warner Brothers thought it was too... Too, too, too much talking. Too much. Okay. It just kind of slows that, especially at the beginning of the movie, right? You know, you got right. you. The, in in any, especially in an action film, you have to establish everything in the first ten minutes. You have to establish who's who. You have to establish, you know, what what the basic story is, what the stakes are. And I think that that kind of preachy scene kind of slowed it down a little bit. But when they re-released it in the late '90s, they put that scene back. But the Bruce's voice was redubbed by most likely John Little. All right. And you can kind of tell it's not it's not exactly Bruce, right? But someone, which I had never seen before, someone posted a clip of that deleted scene with Bruce's original voice in there. Now, if you remember. Um, all of that stuff had to be redubbed anyway. Or that's because that stuff was shot without sound. And it was in the dubbing studio where Bruce had his first collapse. Of that movie. Yeah, of that movie. So, you know, so while I'm listening to that, I'm thinking <laughs> like, you know, th- these are the recordings that Bruce Lee made around May 10th when he had his collapse. So I'm, like, I'm very curious, especially that scene with the Abbott. I mean, he could have oh, recorded that on the day he had his it. first collapse. Oh, that's so that's the crazy. other thing that people don't realize is those those <clears throat> recordings that, that 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 Golden Harvest collapsed. He was he was doing dubbing for Enter the Dragon, and I can tell why they didn't use Bruce's original voice when they re-released it. Although you would think it would make sense to just use Bruce's original voice, it sounded super echoey, like mm. it, kind of like our podcast since we got out of the studio. <laughs> it makes sense, right? Um, it, 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 like when, when he says it, he sounds like he's talking in a box. And so it just sounds really weird. Like the audio quality is shit. So that's why they had to, I think, redub it with someone else, even though you can kind of tell it's someone trying to imitate Bruce Lee, you know, and you can always tell it's a little (laughs) different, right? Um, it should have Bay Logan come in and do that. Yeah. Bay's, even though he's Bay's Bruce is on four years old at that time. Yeah, yeah. For the re-release, he could have done it, right? True, true. Yeah, uh, no. I mean, uh, Bay Logan does an uncanny Bruce Lee. Oh, it's insane. Yeah, where you just you close your eyes and yeah. you're like, wow. And he's got all the little mannerisms and yeah. everything like that, right? You think uh, in Bruce the voice Lee's doing ESMR up in your ears? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. ESMR. <laughs> Did you just say ESMR? Yes. What uh, is right. it? ASMR. Oh, ASMR. Yeah. Yeah. I know you keep seeing AS. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, so it, it kind of makes sense. But someone actually, uh, what's going on with no, you, man? Jesus Christ. I, I understand why they, did, why they didn't go with it. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. What was the question? <laughs> it's been a long morning. No, that was it. I think he was just saying yeah. that. Yeah. He was so. just a comment. Right. Okay, yeah. so we, I think, have time for one more. Un mas. Uno mas. All right, let's try this. Stella Stavropoulou. Stella Stavropoulou. Stella's a big fan of the podcast. She's, big time. She's Greek. All right. And she, you just butchered the shit the first out of one. her name. The first time I did it, yeah. you I got, got it. You got Stella right. <laughs> yeah. She's not going to be a big fan of the podcast much longer I know. if you keep butchering the, the her The first name. time she asked a question, or I, I remember, she said I nailed it. Yeah, I don't think yeah. you did nailed she, it. This she time. said I nailed it. Did she it. say that, yeah. or did you just imagine? No, that? yeah. In the comments, Dre has she a lot. Of, Dre has a lot of conversations with himself. Comments. Yeah, she right. said I nailed it. 
Thank you, Stella. All, All right. right, this time I kind of butchered it somewhat. Now, hey, <laughs> KFG, Andre, exclamation point. I love your podcast, especially the episodes from 1 to 84. I have a question for you. Uh, Which she, part? she wrote this comment, I think, on the 84th episode, so she was saying she likes all of them. She wasn't saying she hates 85 through 87. Which, yeah. I, that's, yeah, which I'm, that's not what I got. Although either. I'm not a fan of those episodes. <laughs> yeah, I, I also I, only like them up to 84. Oh God. Difficult second album. Oh, God. <laughs> All the pressure. We, yeah, we weren't collaborating well. <laughs> right. Which parts of our body should be more trained and which less to be good at Wing Chun training? Where we need to emphasize more on the warm-up, not to get injured. Thank you. All right. That's a great question. So uh, of great. course, how different people need to train. Uh, that, that's something, it's a specific question for which there is no general answer. All right. Mm. Uh, because everyone is different. All right. Depends on your athletic background. I'm not different. I'm the same. Yeah, you're the same. You're everyone different. is different except you. <laughs> All right. I'm the same as everybody. <laughs> I'm the same as everybody. Yeah. Everyone here is different, yeah. except, except you. Yeah. All right. Except okay. you. That's All like right. the person. Yes. I'm not crazy. Yeah. Everyone else is crazy, but I'm sane. Exactly. No, that's not exactly what. It's not the same thing. No, that's a different thing. Okay. After today's episode, I want you to focus on what I said. Everyone is different, except you. I just want you to think about what that means, okay? Yeah. yeah. All right. It's a deep cut. It's Go a on. deep cut. That's like some. That's levels. That's like um. Damn. Uh, that's inception. That's like eighth level in inception right there. Okay. All right. So, uh, well, it's very difficult to give anyone, uh, general, like specific advice for a kind of a general question because it depends on the practitioner's athletic background or lack of athletic background, body type build, what injuries do they have? What, what parts of their body are already well-trained, all right? What parts of their body are lacking, okay? Mm -hmm. Obviously, in Wing Chun, we use a lot of shoulder stuff. So it's really important to make sure that your shoulders are well-maintained because we ask a lot of our shoulders in Wing Chun. Yeah. So you want to make sure that you keep your shoulders mobile. You want to make sure that, you know, you can move them around in different directions, including in ranges of motion you don't need for Wing Chun so that... They're, you're free of impingement. So I would do a lot. I would spend a lot of time warming up your shoulders before class. Um, but you also have to warm up your hips, your knees, your ankles, your wrists, everything. Um, so it depends because if someone comes to me and they're already well built, then sometimes the hurdle we have with them is mobility and flexibility. Mm -hmm. And if someone comes who's like super hyper mobile and they have no problem moving their arms in all sorts of different directions, then with that student, we have to work a little bit more on building strength and structure. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? So it, there, there's, no, there, there's no one answer, right? And also then if you have someone who has lots of shoulder injuries, maybe from uh, they were previously, you know, uh, did, did a lot of iron cross gymnastics or they did a lot of CrossFit or whatever, mm -hmm. and they come to me with just messed up shoulders, all right? Then we're going to have to make sure we do a lot of rehabilitative stuff and restoring stuff and, and make sure that their technique is so good that they're not going to tax their already messed up shoulders, right? So, so that's why it's almost impossible to answer because it depends on the individual. Obviously, I would say you should do a lot of warm-ups for your shoulders. You should make sure that, you know, but your whole body really needs to be warm for Wing Chun. So you can't just limit it to the uh, shoulders. One thing I would also say that Wing Chun people should practice is also neck strengthening. 
Mm. Right? Because first of all, in Wing Chun, we, we maintain a relatively upright posture. I mean, of course, some Wing Chun people put their head forward because they they adopt some kind of boxing frame or whatever. But in general, let's say even just doing the Siyunam Tao, not talking about fighting, you have to keep an upright posture, right? So you need to make sure that your neck is strong and flexible to maintain that. Also, no matter how good you are in martial arts, you can get hit. You might, be, you might take one, right? Mm-hmm. So you need to strengthen your neck a little bit, right? And also, even if it's not for Wing Chun, think of the big ill of today's society, the phone. And we are like this most of the day. Ouch. All right? So what we need to do is we need to straighten up our cervical spine and train this. Look I at recently, like this. I recently got um, the iron neck. All yeah. right? The thing is awesome. Yeah. All right? I would definitely You're recommend that. A lot? I just started using it this week, in? but I'm using it for more for rehab stuff. I'm not using yeah. it to, to continue. I mean, I, I look kind of skinny on the podcast, but when people meet me in person, I basically <laughs> look like an upside-down Dorito, all right? Oh, yeah. uh, I'm just basically this kind of... I'm like SpongeBob SquarePants, okay. right? Short, and I'm built like a thumb, all okay. right? Um, so building my neck up is not going to help that at all. It's no. going to make me look more thumb-like. Uh. Um, but the point of it is just, you know, main, mainly for maintaining good neck posture. Because I even notice sometimes in the podcast, maybe because I'm leaning to the mic, sometimes I'll notice... I'm in this position in the podcast. Mm. And like if I, if I watch an episode or catch an episode, look, it just drives me nuts. So mm-hmm. it's just something you need to be aware of. Posture in general. Shoulders need to be in good condition. And that's all I got to say about that. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. As always, don't forget to like this episode, subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius, hit that bell for notifications. And if you have any questions for me to answer on a future episode, go ahead and write them in the comments below. And as always... I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a kung fu genius. Technique speaks for me, not lineage. Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one. Many call me Sifu, but to you I'm Si Kung. And I produce masters. You surpassed us. Your kung fu stiffer than corpse and caskets. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt. Alex Richter, always the victor. One, two, Dre loves... All right, here we go. So... He just found out what it was. Beep that out, Andrew. Oh man, the damn screensaver. Professional is always at the Kung Fu Genius Podcast. Coming out of the traps really I quickly. The code. I yeah, spent finally. a year here one afternoon. Gobble, All right. Gobble, gobble. Uh, you can edit that out, please. You got to beep that out or we'll get demonetized, Andrew. All right. Um, no, I'm serious. You can't even say that. You can't even talk about that thing. They'll demonetize you. All oh, right. So what? beep that out. Yeah. All right. The um, C word? The C word, right? What? Um, yes. You know, this, uh, this one's going to be fun for him. Oh, yeah, he's going to f*** it up hard. Oh, absolutely. All right. Lots of... Dre, I got a phone call for you. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go and get some popcorn because I think we're going to be here for a while. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be right, here for a while. All right, what's the uh, first one? Wow. Lots of it's, gems. Uh, lots, lots of gems. gems. <laughs> the first one is always lots of gems. Yeah, lots of gems. I like the way he's sitting there. See, that's what Danny's looking like right now. All that's right, let's go. <laughs> let's go, Dre. You he's got tired. it. You got Lots of Kung Fu is dead as Latin. He's a scat man. He's a scat man. <laughs> what? All right, let's go. Gems, lots of kung fu is dead as Latin, and lots of yo. This episode of KFG. This episode of KFG has more twists, has and, more turns twists and turns than a Steven, than a Steven Seagal character arc. 
That's it. Well done. Now, if you could just edit that all together in one go, <laughs> yeah. Andrew, that I would l- be the I love how he's, he's still wrestling with the first one. He's like, what's the first one? Um, lots of gems. Lots of, of gems. gems. All right, people. Oh, Holy shit. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That was legitimately fantabulous.